Welcome to Sermons from St. David's, a ministry of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, Michigan. It's a chance for us to share a good word of challenge, inspiration, and hope as we walk the journey of faith together. You're welcome to join us on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. for live in-person worship. You can also join our 10 a.m. Eucharist via Zoom. Just go to our website for the meeting ID and password at stdavidssf.org. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, let your will be done through us. Amen. Glad they put those lights down here so I'd have something to read by. Once again, welcome everybody to St. David's. Everybody have a good Easter? It was wonderful. It's wonderful. Nice to see everybody on Zoom uh, as well. Uh, we had a terrific time here, and I hope your week was restful. You know, Elias Brothers has the big boy. Geico has the gecko. And we Christians, friends, we have Thomas. We have Doubting Thomas, the poster child, the icon of that endeavor that brought you and me to church today. Our job of following Jesus, our job of bringing compassion and forgiveness and hope to the world, our job of bringing happiness and fulfillment and purpose to our lives and the lives of those around us. And boy, what a tough job it is. Tough being a disciple, friends. It is tough, isn't it? Turning the other cheek, forgiving other people who don't deserve to be forgiven. It's a tough job. And how often we disciples don't get it. Thomas and his buddies remind us of that. Just take a look at some of his buddies. Huh? Peter, what did Peter do? He denied Jesus. John, he argued that he should be first in the kingdom. Philip, he asked, where are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? Thomas, in another instance, agreeing to follow Jesus to his arrest in Jerusalem, and he quips, sure, let's all go so we can die with him. And today we find in our gospel story that even after three years of following Jesus, seeing him raised from the dead just as he told them he would be several times previously, these disciples still don't get it. They're locked up. They're behind closed doors in teeth-clattering fear. Of course, things would change. Jesus comes to them. They finally put two and two together, and they go out and they spread the gospel, and, and nearly all of these disciples would die for the faith that was in them. And so they did get it, but it wasn't very easy. Being a disciple, not easy. One promise Jesus told us we would have is persecution because you're doing something unpopular, you're doing something dangerous, you're doing something inconvenient, you're doing something comfortable, helping other people, loving those who are difficult to love. The list goes on. And what we see in this story, the story of Doubting Thomas, is that Thomas really exemplifies our job. Thomas shows us that being a disciple is something that takes some time. It doesn't happen overnight. Being a disciple is something that's fraught with failure, how often we get it wrong. And being a disciple is about dusting ourselves off and getting back on the horse. Friends, look at how Jesus interacted with these disciples, the patience and the loving care that he had with them, knowing it took them a long time, they failed, they had to work to get back on the horse. Look what Jesus did, how he cared for them, how he lovingly urged them to do better. You know what? Jesus has that same care for you and me. Because if you're like me, you made some mistakes this week. Can I get an amen there? If you get an amen, anything. For sure, we're trying to trust. We're trying to have faith. We're trying to channel the love of God into the world. And it is so hard. 
We say things we regret. We do things we wish we didn't. And we are not the examples that we want to be. We wake up in the morning and we we got these great aspirations. We go to bed at night, we're like, ay, 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 ay. To quote, who was that, Ricky Ricardo? And so you know what the sermon says today? The sermon says that that's okay. We're still loved and we're still called by God. It's not too late. You and I are not perfect and neither were those 11 disciples. And that the path that you and I are on of being disciples is the toughest challenge of our lives. It takes time, we fail, but we can do it. After all, they did it. And all along the way, we discovered that this life of being a disciple, of following Jesus, is not just the most challenging job of our lives. It's the most rewarding. Let me tell you a story about a farmer, a farmer named Mac. He would wake up every morning, 4 a.m., and that's when he'd walk into the kitchen, he'd fill up a pan of water, and he'd, he'd light the, the, the gas stove with his, with his match, and, and he'd get that fire going underneath the, on the stove there, and he'd, he'd put that boiling pan of water, pan, pan of water right on top of that flame, and it would start to boil. And after it was boiling, like a, a, a rolling boil, like, you know, it's time to put the pasta in, that's when he would put in a couple of tablespoons of coffee, instant coffee. Well, one morning, uh, one morning he had his, well, let me back up. He'd put those teaspoons of, of, of coffee in the boiling water, and then he'd take that pan and he'd pour it in a mug, and then he'd just drink it like a gulp at a time. Well, I don't see your scowls. Well, one morning, his, uh, his teenage son, a grandson, was over, decided, I'm going to get up with Grandpa. He got up with Grandpa, 4 a.m., and uh, followed him into the kitchen. He watched Grandpa Mac's morning routine, and he stood there aghast at his grandfather as he poured that boiling coffee into that mug and took a big old swallow. Oh my gosh, said the boy, aren't your lips on fire? I can't believe you're doing that. You must be in terrible pain. How do you do that? Grandpa Max says, took me a long time. When I started, I put a couple of ice cubes in it, then just down to one ice cube, then I just sip it. And after years and years, I drink it straight like this. I don't have a problem with it. it takes him a while to learn something new. And friends, our formation as disciples is like that because living the life that you and I are attempting to live, to return good for evil, turn the other cheek, love our neighbor, not look after ourselves first, but look after others, that takes a long time to do in the culture that we're in. You and I live in a world that's so antithetical to the Christian idea of care for the vulnerable, respect for those for whom we disagree and putting people and relationships ahead of money and accomplishment and possessions. Our culture feeds us a steady diet of fear, of anxiety, and not so blatant messages that we don't have enough. We don't look good enough. And at the end of the day, we just don't matter. And coming against those messages, combating the constant barrage of scarcity and fear to see ourselves as God sees us is a lifetime endeavor. God sees us in many ways differently than we see ourselves. God sees us as someone to be loved, as someone who has an, 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 an invaluable role in the unfolding of the universe. Van Morrison famously wrote a song, I don't know if you've ever heard of this song. George, it's called, When Will I Ever Learn to Live in God? When will I ever learn? When will I ever learn to live in God? When will I ever learn? The road to discipleship is a long one. 
And over time, we can train ourselves. We watch this in the disciples. We see this in Thomas. Thomas did it. Grandpa Mac did it. And we, too, can learn new things. When we prepare ourselves for a race, it's helpful to know if it's a 100-yard dash or if it's a 26-mile marathon. And following Jesus is the latter. So what are the habits and practices that can sustain you and me for the long run? What are the influences we need to get around us? Or what are the influences we need to keep from being around us to help us reach that goal? In the week ahead, how can we better understand that being a disciple doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time? The fact that you and I routinely fail at the most important endeavor of our lives of following Jesus hardly needs pointing out. I remember once I was in the parish hall and uh, somebody stopped me, Jake, I think it was one of your relatives, and they said, you never preach about sin. And I was like, I don't really need to. <laughs> it's, it's one of those relevant topics we're all very well acquainted with. But the endeavor of our life of following Jesus, um, it, the thing that we've made first, how often our good intentions lead to miserable outcomes. How often are we simply unaware of the unjust systems that we support? And this sentence hit me this week. Maybe it'll hit you. How am I complicit? in creating conditions I say I don't want? How am I complicit in creating conditions that I say I don't want? So when it comes to our failures, what we need to do is remember we're in good company. Abraham Lincoln lost eight political uh, elections before he was elected president. Beethoven's music teacher thought he was hopeless when it came to composition. Babe Ruth struck out 1,330 times. Michael Jordan missed 9,000 shots and lost 300 games. And as we've mentioned, the disciples routinely failed Jesus and themselves at the most crucial points in their histories. Really important for us to see because we always look up at, oh, Michael Jordan, he did all that stuff. Well, yeah, but he did a lot more of that other stuff. Failure is baked into the process and failure is baked into success. Failure allows us to make adjustments, to fine-tune the final product, and to provide direction like nothing else can. And if, you can, if you're going to tweet something today, if you have a tattoo of anything in the sermon today, here's what it is. Failure is a priceless gift with an ugly wrapper. Failure is a priceless gift with an ugly wrapper. Have you received the gift of failure recently? Is it always a pain to be avoided, or can it be a teacher to seek after? In what ways is our failure our friend? What we also need to remember about failure is how important it is to live with ourselves as people who fail. Not to be defined by it, but to understand that when I fail, it doesn't mean I'm a failure. It means I did something that failed. And there's a really important distinction to be made here, because a lot of us came here not only beat up by stuff out there, but beat up by stuff inside. You're not defined by your failures. You're defined by God, who is a redeemer. We see that in this story with Doubting Thomas. We have to find healthy ways of coping with our imperfections. There are a lot of unhealthy ways out there, right? There are a lot of unhealthy ways. How do we speak to ourselves when we fail? How do we penalize ourselves and those around us when we don't make the mark? How do we need to be more realistic about our capabilities and expectations 
so that we don't walk around beating ourselves up and being mad at the world. Jesus' disciples failed seriously and frequently, yet they kept their composure, they developed a resilience, and they didn't let it get to them. They saw failure as a part of the process, and they lived with their imperfections. Can we? And how can we then do what the disciples did and respond to those shortcomings, those failures with humility, dusting ourselves off and getting back on the horse? You know, it's been said that the three most difficult things for a human being to do, they're not physical, they're not feats of strength, like lifting up something super heavy or running a three and a half hour marathon, nor are they intellectual accomplishments like winning a spelling bee or, or winning a debate contest. No, the top three most difficult things for human beings to do are these, returning love for hate, including the excluded, and admitting that we're wrong. Number one, return love for hate. Number two, include the excluded. And number three, admitting that we are wrong. When St. Thomas was knocked off his horse, refusing to believe that Jesus could do what he said he could do, and coming face to face with the reality of the risen Christ. He hit his knees in humility. Thomas did not deny or deflect. He didn't storm off or look for alternative facts to explain how he was actually right all along. No, he did one of the hardest things that you and I can do. He admitted his error and he got back on with the program. Friends, in our me first cancel culture, we are tempted to simply ignore our missteps, not own up to our transgressions and to sugarcoat our sins. Thomas shows us that this is not how to follow Jesus and that part of following Jesus is to emulate his humility in our lives. The one who came down from heaven became one of us and died at our whim he exemplified a humility that's essential to our good health and well-being individually and communally. So let me ask you this. In what ways are we being asked to be humble? Did you have some humble pie to eat this week? What's going on in our lives that's asking us to respond with a change of heart and admit that we're wrong? How is God trying to make us more humble? Is there a lesson that's going on in our life right now? which God's trying to teach us humility? And can we see that this is actually a good thing? Friends, in Thomas, you and I find this icon. And I hope that we can take these three things away. He reminds us that we don't become disciples overnight. It takes a while. Thomas shows us that we will, we will all fail. We will all make mistakes. We will have our regrets, so let's not beat ourselves up about them. But Thomas also shows us that we can respond with humility and get back on track. God does not primarily act out of anger and condemnation, but God is a merciful forgiver. Many of us learned when we were kids that God was a finger wagger. God's up there, he's wagging his finger at you. But God is full of mercy and compassion. God is more compassionate and forgiving and loving of us than we are to ourselves, right? Because it's so much easier to forgive somebody else than to forgive ourselves. But this is what Jesus wants us to do at Easter. Forgive yourself. God did. Can we do it ourselves? So friends, my, my prayer for us today is that we would see in Thomas these three things and that we would go and do likewise. Amen. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening. And may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.